Have you wondered about living elsewhere in your retirement? Well, we have almost daily. No, it's not a simple decision, especially when two people are involved. Hi, this is Gil and Jean of Retire There, a podcast about retirement destinations. We live in Brooklyn, New York, having grown up and worked in this area of the country. We're hoping to relocate when we're both retired. For us, it's the weather, the chaos, the noise, and the yearning to be near nature and not within three feet of human beings. <laughs> That's right. In February 2020, we embarked on our journey to find that special place. We spent a week in Winter Park, Florida, which is beautiful, but something said it wasn't for us. As we were planning for the next trip, the pandemic arrived. Jean then gave birth. I gave birth? To this podcast. With so many baby boomers retiring, many must be relocating. Why not connect with and learn from them? Here's a little background about us. I'm Asian, born in Brazil, and grew up in Flatbush, Brooklyn. I'm an engineer turned attorney turned podcaster. I recently retired from a university career practicing higher education law. I love the academic environment, but it was time to do something else. I no longer have to set an alarm, drive in BQE traffic, or work with people who don't always share the same principles. Oh, did I just say that? <laughs> you bet I did. I traded all that in to binge crime dramas into the wee hours just a little bit to develop the podcast, to volunteer, practice metal smithing, tackle our possessions. No regrets so far, Jane. I'm not Asian. And as Gil mentioned, I'm not retired. I'm just plain tired. Born and raised in Long Island, New York, a place I always wanted to leave. I'm a law librarian working in a court who loves his job, but we're retired by the time we select our ideal location. We will be speaking to folks from across the street to across the globe who have moved to the dream venues and more. So please stay tuned. And remember, if you know anyone who has moved anywhere for retirement, let us know. Thank you. Hello, all. Today, we visit with Tim Bull and Karina Rook, who live part-time aboard a boat and part-time in Athens, Greece. First, a little about the couple's boat known as Matilda. The couple have been living and traveling on Matilda, mostly in the Mediterranean, Ionian, and Adriatic Seas. Matilda is a trawler manufactured in 2009 by Adagio, a French boat company. According to the Cambridge Dictionary, a trawler is a large boat that uses a wide, cone-shaped net to catch fish. In a minute, Tim and Karina will tell us how accurate that definition is. <laughs> I've always thought trawlers were really slow. You know, maybe I'm thinking of crawlers. <laughs> Tim says their typical cruising speed is around six and a half knots, and that's about 12 kilometers or seven and a half miles per hour. When they are not on Matilda, you might find them in their apartment in Athens, Greece. Much of Greece is on the sea. It's a country in southeastern Europe on the southern part of the Balkan Peninsula, with the Mediterranean Sea in the south and the Ionian Sea in the west. The country is bordered by Albania, North Macedonia, Bulgaria, and Turkey. It also shares maritime borders with Cyprus, Egypt, Italy, and Libya. Athens is a major coastal urban area, southeast Greece, and is both the capital and the largest city of Greece. The city is known as the birthplace of modern civilization, but is also a modern metropolis. 
And I dedicate this episode to a college buddy, Roxanne Karastathis. I know you're in Volos now, but soon you'll be back. Okay, take it away, Gene. Tim Bull was born in the city of Adelaide, Australia, the fifth most populous city in Australia. He was raised in a number of places, mostly in Australia, but also lived in Jordan from ages 8 to 12. As for work, Tim was a software engineer and then VP of engineering for various startups. His hobbies include sailing, writing, reading, computer games, and music. Karina Rook was born and raised in Adelaide, Australia as well. She has a degree in commerce from the University of Adelaide and started a career in banking and then moved on to technology and tech startups. Her hobbies include movies, jigsaw puzzles, iPad games, and cooking. Before moving to Greece, the couple lived in the San Francisco Bay Area for nine years. They have two adult children and a salty dog named Rosie. We'll find out what a salty dog is, Gil. <laughs> you may follow their adventures on timbull.com, where they post a new story each Sunday morning. Okay, you two are living quite the life. Welcome to Retire There. How did you decide to live on a boat and in Athens, Greece? It's been a bit of a lifelong dream of mine to kind of run away to sea. I think, you know, some of my earliest memories are really of reading books like Swallows and Amazons, which is a, it's a very English kind of like the famous five. I don't know if it translates to the US particularly well, but, you know, it's about a bunch of kids hanging around on a boat. And I've just always loved that idea of exploring the world in, in a less conventional manner. And I think, you know, both Karina and I have always shared that that dream, not necessarily of a boat, but exploring in a way that's not typical. So, you know, one of the first things we did after we met and we were married was we traveled by train across Russia. Um, we tried to get from Australia to Europe using as little air, air travel as we could. And I think that that's just always been a theme of how we've tried to sort of navigate the world is try and find a, a different way to do it. But the boats specifically, it really started with a canal boat holiday that we did as a family. So it was probably 2016 or something like that. And we, I'd been learning to sail and I finally convinced everyone to come out with me on the San Francisco Bay and they all went, no, this is this is <laughs> not for us. We do not like this. We're not interested. But, you know, I kept that up. I'm persistent. Then we were sort of planning our summer holiday and we decided to go to the Netherlands. A canal boat holiday idea came up and I was able to sell that on the basis that there's not a lot of wind on the canals and that they're all motorboats and that they don't tip from side to side like sailboats. And so oh. everyone agreed. And we actually had a really wonderful time. And one of the reasons that it then became a passion for both of us was that I think what people don't appreciate is that boats are very historical. The way in which cities are built, they're built around harbours. Mm. And so it really doesn't matter where you go. If you go to Seattle in the, the US, for example, or if you go to Athens, Greece, or you come to the islands here or in the Netherlands, you know, wherever there's water and there was shipping, that's how the city is oriented. And so when you're on a boat, you're in the centre of it. We always loved RV holidays, but RV holidays and RVs are really problematic because they're always on the outskirts. So you can travel in the US by RV, you can get to a lot of places, but you can't take it downtown in New York. Um, <laughs> but you can anchor a boat with a view of the Statue of Liberty. There are anchorages yeah. there and you can travel that. So th I think that really was what became appealing to us. I don't know, Karina, you know, how do yeah. you follow on from that holiday? Well, I think... Yeah, I definitely enjoyed the holiday. I liked that we had 
all the comforts of home. So that was nice. But I think, you know, the second part of the question, why Athens? I have a confession. What really happens with Tim and I is that we don't necessarily stop and research and map out all the possible options and write pros and cons for each option and then make a very considered decision. We're the, totally the wrong people to in, to interview for, <laughs> for a retirement plan. No, no. We're no. the antithesis of this. We sort of, we're not like a hot mess either. You know, we are yeah, like yeah. somewhere in between where we do give things some consideration, but we have a lot more faith in our ability to cope with anything that the future holds as long as we're together and as long as we're having fun. And there's always this kind of idea. Tim is the optimist. You know, if you ask him how long something will take, it usually takes double that amount of time, for example. (laughs) You know, I'm more of the glass half empty person, so I'm very conservative in my views. You know, I've studied accounting and economics and I'm I'm the sensible one in the relationship. Yeah, you sound like me. (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) Sorry, Um, But together, (laughs) I think what that means is that Tim kind of pushes me to take more risks and over the 29 years we've been together or 30 probably that we've known each other, I've seen those risks pay off and I haven't really been sort of scared from that. Oh. So, mm-hmm. Or scarred. Or scarred. Or scarred, <laughs> more importantly. Yeah. So why, why did we choose Greece? Because I think we just watched a YouTube video on the top 10 places in the world to live and we eliminated a bunch of them because we didn't like the weather and it left uh, Belize, which was, you know, under some oh, consideration for a yeah, while. Right. Uh, the Netherlands was always under consideration as my father was born there and I have an EU passport. So that was always going to be wow. something that felt right. You know, I should really understand my roots and, mm-hmm. you know, go to the country that I'm claiming all these benefits from. Um <laughs> Yeah, sounds then nice. Greece, Greece also came up because we had travelled here after our train journey across Siberia. We kind of liked it. We only spent three days, I think, in Greece total, three or four days. But we really did come away with a very good impression and it just sounded cool. So I have to ask you, how much did you bring from your previous home onto the boat? I assume you had to get rid of everything from uh, your home in San Francisco. It was so much fun. Again, Tim (laughs) is a hoarder and I'm the minimalist. Oh, my God. He's a hoarder. (laughs) (laughs) I loved it. I loved getting rid of all my stuff. Like, it was really fun for me. There was no emotional trauma. There was no long decision-making process. There was no maybe pile. Mm. Like, it all went. Wow. Um, The the short answer is we, we arrived in Athens with... Two suitcases and two carry-ons, and that was it. Everything else from nine years in the US we had sold up and got rid of, with some very minor exceptions of about two suitcases worth of stuff that we shipped back to Australia to go and live in my parents' basement, which ironically we're now talking to them about (laughs) opening that and getting rid of all that because in (laughs) in four years and we can't even remember what's in those boxes. Oh, my gosh. Wait a minute. So two suitcases each or two total? No, no, two suitcases total plus oh uh, my yeah, two Lord. suitcases, two carry-ons. That's it. We do travel pretty minimally. I mean, you saw us on the video before. <laughs> we're not like, we're not yeah. very fancy dresses or whatever. Like we live on a boat. I'm um, literally sitting here in my bikini. Yeah, she's literally uh-huh. in her bikini. <laughs> okay, yeah, that it's doesn't a, take up much uh, luggage space. Day. <laughs> but I mean, we laugh all the time because we, you know, we'll, we'll go on board an aeroplane and we're going somewhere for two, th- even if we're going somewhere for a month, right? Like we'll travel mm around Europe and wow. we're just taking carry on 
yeah. a, backpack oh. each, a backpack each. So that's all we're taking. And we see right. people getting on the plane and they've got two suitcases and two carry-ons. Wow. Like, how do you even bring that much stuff with you? What the, you know, I what know. are you taking with you? I don't understand it. Anyway. Well, well, well we, Tim, do you consider yourself a convert? Because... I understand that you used to kind of collect a lot. I mean, how, how, um, how um, have you said that? You? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll let you speak for yourself in a moment. Sure. But I have to say some <laughs> of the things that Tim brought onto the boat have not been used once, including <laughs> a pair of boxing gloves and a yoga mat. <laughs> and they're not small items to put That's in true. a suitcase. That's true. Oh, that my is true. God. The, yeah, the I boxing did, gloves well. take up uh, quite, a, quite a bit of the but, carrier. But about traveling without much, we met a couple who live part-time in California and part-time in Spain. And they sometimes travel for two or three days without bringing anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah we could do yeah. that. We could yeah. do really? I mean, we'd probably bring a toothbrush or something like that. But, you know, we'd, <laughs> we could definitely do that. Um, wow. wow. I think it's really interesting. I, I think the, the boat life changes you too. We're not the same people we were four years ago or three years ago. Mm. Definitely not the same people. And in all sorts of weird little ways, which, you know, maybe too much personal information, but, you know, we're not showering every single day anymore. You know, it used to be like every day you get up, you have a shower, you get ready for the, like, you know, no one's got time for that on a boat. We don't have that much water. We're going swimming all the time. Yeah, it's enough yeah. to sort of jump in, go swimming and maybe rinse off with fresh water for like 20 seconds. It's sure. certainly not washing my hair every day, which I, sure. I used to do. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. It's a valid point because you just reprioritize how you spend your time and what's important. Mm -hmm. You know, there's this sort of concept of being salty on the sea. Yeah. And that really refers <laughs> to like an older, experienced sailor. And, you know, she might have a torn t shirt and, yeah. Yeah. you know, greasy hair and, mm -hmm. you know, right. shoes that have been patched up with uh, duct tape. And, you know, yeah. that's we're not yeah. quite we're, like that, We haven't degenerated <laughs> that far yet. But it's a little bit like camping or something where you just sure. take shortcuts and sure, put some deodorant on, but, you know, it's okay. Sure. So <laughs> both of bit. you are, are good swimmers, I take it? Um, good good enough. Okay. <laughs> I'm not a bad swimmer. Um, I've competed in triathlons and things in my younger days. I would be confident from here to swim to the shore from where we are. I think Karina I is... loathe any form of exercise. <laughs> so if I have to sweat, I just think it's the most miserable activity on earth. Wow. But, you know, when I swim, I just float around and, you know, we have the pool noodles and yeah, we just yeah. float around and chat and splash and we're not in for hours and hours and... Okay. We have all the buoyancy devices you need. We have a stand-up paddleboard or SUP, as they're called. Okay. Um, okay. You know, plenty of flotation rings and, yeah, I've never really had to swim a I, lot. Yeah, and, and we live on the boat for quite a lot of the year, and that means that there's a lot of the year where we're not swimming every day, right? So, you know, it's quite possible to live on this boat and basically not particularly get wet for a long period of time. We have a, you know, we have a reasonable size tender with a motor that can get us to shore. So, you know, mm -hmm. not uncommon for us to like where we are at the moment. We're anchored near the island of Poros in Greece. You know, we're sort of two or three hundred feet from the shore at the moment, probably. And for um, those who don't know, a tender just means a, a teeny tiny boat that you put on your boat. Yeah. So right. I didn't even ah. understand this when I bought my boat. Uh, but okay. It actually needs another boat with it. Yeah. And so you know, we just <laughs> pop that in and then pop the motor on it and then Toodle off to shore if we need to, and and you know for sort of March, April, into mid May, 
we'd be using, you know, we'd be doing that. Whereas now, of course, it's, you know, what is it at the moment? 30, 35, so 80 to 90 to Fahrenheit. Um, it's quite warm. And so we're swimming all the time and okay. it's a bit different. Okay. All right. So, Gil, maybe, maybe you could do this uh, because you don't need to swim, sounds like. You don't need to exercise. And you don't need to, you, you don't <laughs> shower debatable. every day anyway. Oh my god! I mean, Thanks a lot. I still, <laughs> I still get Netflix. We're never without Wi-Fi. And if we ever pull into an anchorage that doesn't have Wi-Fi because it's you know surrounded by beautiful, peaceful mountains, we're out of there. Like <laughs> that's true. Wow. We've well, been I- at some like really stunning places, and then you know we're we're still not completely detached. I think there are very different sorts of people living on boats, and we would definitely classify ourselves as pretty much full-time liverboards, but also coastal cruises. And by that, I mean, you know, we're rarely, very rarely, if never, out out of sight of land. You know, whereas a lot of people that are our friends here, you know, they're cruising across the Atlantic, crossing between the US and Europe, for example. And, you know, they've done that. We're anchored next to a boat right next to us with friends that have literally done that this sea, the start of this season. We're not doing that, you know, we're not doing that. And we're not, it's not something that we're particularly interested in. There's so many amazing places to visit. We kind of view the boat as a way of having a home base and getting us somewhere interesting and then Mm -hmm. being able to kind of like be there and be home at the same time. Okay. You you talked a little about this, but why specifically did you pick a trawler and not a sailboat? That's Um, Karina. Yeah, this is me. So... Now, I follow Tim's vision and his dreams, but then I get that one thing that I can put my foot down on. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> in this situation, I, I was not interested in a sailboat. To me, it's ropes and sails fluttering and costs and leaning to and fro. There's a lot of ropes and complicated things <laughs> to trip over and sailboats lean left and right yeah. and they're really cramped inside and dark and I just didn't think that sounded very fun. It's like mm-hmm. being in a car that's too small for you and yes. then you know pretending like you're enjoying it. So I prefer design and light and space and I wanted a boat that felt kind of larger on the inside than you realized and something that just had lots of buttons to press and we didn't have to worry about complicated <laughs> mechanisms that could fail. So yeah, I was the one who said, look, I'll do this, but it really needs to be a motorboat. And I might change to a sailing boat later, but you know, I've not ever lived on the water. I'm not a sailor. Let's just ease into this life and start with something easy. And and trawlers, you, you sort of started by asking, you know, the definition of what is a trawler. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think the the definition is fairly accurate. Most of the trawlers that are, you know, the sort of boat that we're living on really come from that design. They're inspired by that design of these fishing boats, particularly, you know, we're sort of a mid-range kind of trawler. Um, They're a much more expensive, much more capable trawlers than ours, which, you know, really are kind of all-weather sorts of vessels. Some of those brands like Nordhaven or Grand Banks or some of those, which, you know, you can literally cross the Atlantic Ocean on. We can't do that on our boat. As I say, it's a coastal cruiser. The philosophy is it's a deep hulled boat that cuts through the water. It's not getting up onto the plane. What that means is it's not expending huge amounts of energy to go very fast. So they tend to be cheaper to run. If it's going to be a motorboat, it's going to be a trawler because the sorts of boats, the fancy Italian design Ferretti's and the Pershing's and all these sort of other, the Asimuts and some of these boats, you know, those things are running like, 300 litres an hour 
of diesel. Oh, wow. Right? Wow. Like we, yeah. we burn, I mean, we're not cheap compared to a sailboat, but we still only use 10 litres an hour, which for a motorboat is very good. Even if you're just sitting there, right? You're saving, obviously. I mean, what what are you running for, whether it's heat or does it get cold? Oh, it gets cold. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's funny. I'm in a lot of nomad travel groups Mm -hmm. and people often ask about, oh, uh, you know, they're always chasing. I don't know why everyone chases 70 degrees, but they're all chasing 70 degrees and they're like, oh, can I come to Greece in February? And it's like, no, it's (laughs) freezing. You know, like it's literally at freezing here Uh at that time of year. The last three years we've been here, it snowed in Athens late February, March. Mm -hmm. It's not warm. You know, it's just not warm. It's a right. Mediterranean climate. It's, it's very similar here in climate to sort of San Francisco, I would mm. say. Maybe right. not quite oh, the it's same. A lot warmer when it's, it's warm. When it's warmer when it's warm, that's true. It is warmer when it's warm. But in winter, it's, you know, it's cold, it's grey. Yeah, you get lots of nice, clear, sunny days, but it's not warm. It's 10 mm-hmm. degrees centigrade, which is what, like 50 or something like that, I guess. But, and then- okay. You know, and then and then you will get these days where it's actually snowing. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, thankfully, we do have a diesel heater on board, so we use our fuel source to also run the heater, and that keeps us warm. We're pretty comfortable on the boat, even though it's cold outside. Yeah. Could you describe the living areas on the boat? Yeah. So it's um, the boat basically divides into four sections. We have our cabin, which is in the stern pretty common setup on a trawler and it's in the stern because it gives the most room. So we have a queen bed in there that you can walk around that's got headroom for people up to over six foot in height. As someone said, they're on here today and they're like, okay, this is how you know you've got a bedroom because you've got side tables. We have side tables, they're built in <laughs> or nightstands, right? It's a small room, livable bedroom. It's it's very like you might find in a small apartment. You have all the space that you need for everything that you want. And then you come up Forward from that, we have the salon, which that's basically, you know, got a a built-in table and a a U-shaped couch or seating area. Mm -hmm. Um, Lots of windows, great view of what's going around us. Although we have all the blinds down at the moment to keep the sun out. Uh, And then forward of that, there's a small galley, um, a kitchen. You know, we have a, it's not quite a full-size fridge, but it's probably three-quarter size, a gas stove. We've got a microwave, we've got a coffee machine, hmm. everything that you could want or expect in an apartment, we pretty much have. We have a washing machine on board as well. And okay. then forward of that in the bow, we've got a guest cabin. And that cabin's a little bit smaller because it sort of fits into the curve of the boat at the front. Um, and then outside, all above us in the salon is living area. I think it works out. You have to do the conversions for me, but it's uh, I think it's about 55 square metres of living space if you include the outside areas. Okay. Can you tell us a, just a little bit, because we haven't interviewed too many people living on boats. I think you're the third couple, though, that we've included on the show. I guess there's a lot of research, at least. I mean, you couldn't have been so cavalier just to say, oh, I think I like that one. I'll take it. Oh, which boat, you mean? Yeah. Oh, no, that's pretty much how we approached it. We We were <laughs> that cavalier about it. We were very much, that's how we started out. It's different from buying a car or a house. You have to just start looking at it and you start going on board and you say, well, I like this, I don't like this. And then you start running the sums on, you know, where could I go with this boat or how much might it cost to run it? 
okay, I don't like it as much as I thought I did. But you're also limited by the fact it's just not an infinite number of boats. Hmm. So boats are boats are really the ultimate in compromise. You have to prioritise the things that are really important to you. So for us, hmm. that was space and fuel efficiency. Right. And then that very quickly brings down the number of boats you can get. And I would say for the boat that we have here, we, we love this boat. It's very capable. It does everything that we need it to do. But aesthetically... Oh, it's ugly. It's it is so not ugly. as ugly as Karina it thinks. Is. But... I have a horrible pirate ship wheel at the helm and there's yeah. too oh. much wood everywhere oh. and there's horrible, like, 70s louvers and... You know, oh, some yeah, yeah. people it's, come it's on board. Pretty. People but... come on board and they love it. And they, like, really love it or they hate it and they don't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> Karina's in the hate it category. It's definitely a it's it's definitely a very traditional older style design on the inside. Okay. So but that's the kind of compromise you have to make to find the right boat. And some people have something in mind from day one, but you know, when you start twisting those dials of budget versus what you want to do, where you want to go, time, availability, yeah. you know, our shortlist came down to I think the final shortlist that we got to was 10 boats in the entire Mediterranean that we thought might meet what we wanted. I mean, that took ten maybe boats. six months to get to that. Okay. Right? But eventually there was a list of 10 boats. The first one they wouldn't negotiate on price. The second one had VAT issues. The third one was this one. And yeah. there you go. Yeah. Okay. And so may I ask what the cost is for these trawlers? Very, very variable, and it varies depending on age, sure. capabilities, yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. So when it comes to buying a trawler, when it comes to buying any boat, really, you can buy a boat at the bottom end, which you know might be as little as fifty to a hundred thousand yeah. uh, dollars, that will do what you need it to do, mm-hmm. and then you can go from there right up to literally millions. Yeah, so sure. There's a, Okay. Not having 47 around here at the moment. Beautiful boat. That thing's got to run to at least two point something. Uh, we're not spending that. Our, ours was, we were what, 235? 235,000 euros. Okay. 235,000 okay. euros. Nice. For this, which is a, a really nicely set up boat for liverboard cruising in the med. Right. And how old is it? 2009. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. All right. We have a lot of questions. I know Jean's kicking me. You can't see, but I I must know when you're docked in Athens, is your daily you know ritual kind of you go off the boat and you you know have your day eating out or or what have you, or do you spend? I mean, obviously it's a stupid question because it varies. When you're on the boat, are you literally just living on the boat, cruising around? Or do you? Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's right. So we consider the boat our primary residence. Mm -hmm. It's where all our clothes and shoes and makeup and jewelry sort of Mm -hmm. lives. Okay. um, All our documents, et cetera. So this is where we live most of the time. And then we take breaks off the boat to go and do short holidays to, you know, visit our kids or just explore countries we want to see either by car or we, you know, fly to visit them. So when we do. Uh, dock the boat on land that can be you know during the summertime we'll dock just because we need to get fuel for the boat Mm. or i need to go provisioning which just means food shopping Um, or we need you know spare parts from the chandlery or you know we've got errands to run okay usually if we were doing a vacation somewhere then we would leave the boat in a safe place so if it was an extended 
vacation, we might haul the boat out of the water. And so there's a crane that will just lift it up and put it on the land. Mm. And that way, you know, it's it's not going to sink because it's on the land. Right. <laughs> it's, right. it's considered pretty safe. Uh-huh. Um, or if we were doing a vacation for a week or two, we would choose to go into a marina and you know, pay a nightly fee to have the boat tied up somewhere and sort of supervised by the marina staff. Okay. So, okay. That was a great answer. Thank you, Karina. <laughs> so you have an apartment in Athens. Are you residents of Greece? Yes, we are. Again, because of my EU passport, it just ah, seemed like right. a very convenient way to have the legal right to stay in this country and not have to, you know, leave because of the Schengen rules. So it's given us a lot of freedom by becoming residents of Greece. We can travel, you know, anywhere in the EU that we like. It's also just made a few things easier. It's easier to open a bank account and it's easier to get your COVID vaccine and, you know, all these things because we're considered part of the system here in Greece. I understand that you are you both lawyers. Is that correct? Yes. So you'll, you'll appreciate the, we are not a lawyer, um, but we should say that like Schengen and re- residency within the EU, even for EU citizens is relatively, it's more straightforward. It's a lot easier than if you're coming from the US, for example, but it's still not completely straightforward. And there are a lot of intricacies and rules, some of which are followed and some of which are not. We tried to follow all the rules as best we understand them. And we believe in paying professionals for professional advice. So we just, we don't want to think too much about this stuff. We'll just, you know, pay 500 euros and, you know, this this lovely lawyer can sort it out for us. Yeah. But it's like, for example, most people that are resident in Schengen, so say that like Karina, the Dutch passport, you know, she's a Dutch citizen. She's allowed to travel to any other EU country, but she still can't stay there for more than 90 days, technically. So we know plenty of EU people that do travel there and stay there more than 90 days. But our understanding is that you're not allowed to stay there for more than 90. Anyway, it's a bunch of technicalities about Schengen that probably aren't that interesting, but just just to say, it's not as simple as you have Schengen residency, you can do whatever you want. It's mostly true, but there are some specifics you have to watch out for, and it's worth getting professional advice on. Okay. So I also want to know, because I'm so curious, when you're driving, obviously, you know, when you're crossing a physical border and Mm -hmm. when you're flying, the pilots are registered and they've already pre-indicated their direction to the authorities. So I guess we know where they're crossing that line in the sky. In a boat, if you go from Greece to Australia, how does one register its presence? It's an interesting question, and it varies so much by how strict the various countries are and how Uh well they monitor their seas. So it's almost like a trust system. Mm, <laughs> you know, yeah. we're expected to report to the authorities, you know, when we want to enter their borders and when we okay. leave their borders. Mm-hmm. But technically, you know, there's no line in the water that you really, <laughs> that there's no one at a, a gate letting you through. It's, right. it's a bit of a different experience. I mean, it, there is absolutely an international law of the sea. Yeah. And largely most countries are signatory to that. UN, I guess it's a UN charter. I'm not sure. But anyway, but the, most countries are signatory to that. I know that not strictly not every single country is. Yeah. Um, there are all sorts of rules and regulations under that. But as Karina said, you know, you, you have a responsibility, um, particularly when you're crossing Schengen borders, mm. out, like outside of Schengen, to check out and check in. 
Um, okay. But there okay. are all sorts of provisions to say, you know, you have a right of innocent passage, for example. Not that's not something we've ever used, but if we want, <laughs> if we wanted to go from A to B, and on that route we just happen to pass through the waters of some other country, right? As long as we didn't stop and drop anchor, and okay. if they ask, we'd just say, well, you know, we're going from A to B. They they're not allowed to. Te- they're not technically supposed to stop us. So, yeah, you have a right of innocent passage, uh, which yeah. some people use yeah. for various things. Yeah. But, yeah. And when okay. we say check in and check out, I don't know if that needs a bit of explanation, but it involves queuing up and waiting for someone with a stamp to, like, look at your documents and give you a rubber stamp. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it's just a bureaucratic process. Right, and it's right. usually done with some kind of port authority or port police or okay. yeah, and know, customs or immigration. It's very on. much the same process that happens when you when you fly in an aeroplane. It's just the difference with a boat is it's um, not necessarily less formal. It's just less organised, and you right. you know usually have to walk from A to B to build you know to building C to get this signature to bring it back here to give it to someone else who's filing it over here. And it all depends on the country. But it did make me laugh because, you know, the very first time we checked out of Greece to go to Albania, Mm -hmm. we literally checked out of the country. They stamped us out of Greece. And then we walked back out of the port into Corfu City to get back to the boat. Like, <laughs> like we, we could have oh, wow. a year us, you know, Yeah, yeah like, we could do whatever we wanted, really. I mean, right, and right. then we got in our boat and we left, but no one was watching. No, you know. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Okay, um, no, so no pun intended. Must be very fluid, right, Jean? I mean, marit- is, no, absolutely. I have to tell absolutely. you, yeah, maritime law is a subject that we know nothing about, <laughs> but we know from from law school that there are tons of cases on it so so i was always just so curious okay okay all right let's go on let's let's move on to to athens how did you find your apartment well this is where we really should have listened to ourselves a little more but it was locked down <laughs> i was bored uh we hadn't spent as much money on the boat as we had budgeted or planned oh, for nice. so i i kind of figured i'm going to spare 200 on my sleeve mm-hmm. 200,000 euros like what could i do with that and I kind of like real estate. I like browsing. I love going to open houses. My daughter and I in the US used to go to all the open houses just for fun and talk about <laughs> the properties. You sound just and, like Jean. <laughs> you know, what we improve and is it good value and have they, yeah. you know, staged it properly. So it's something I'm interested in. And, yeah, just started researching and had learned that property in Athens was a bargain, a real bargain. Wow. And we had anticipated that once lockdown lifted, that everyone would be flooding to Greece because they just want to get out in the sunshine and party hard. So we expected there to be a sort of opportunity to make some profit there. So I, you know, started my spreadsheet and started looking around online and kind of fumbled through and found a couple of places. And during that process, met an actual professional who knows how to do this properly. (laughs) And (laughs) she talked us out of one place that, you know, overlooked a restaurant with grease smell coming in the window constantly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, once we got to know her, she took over the search and said, tell me what you want. I'm going to give you the spreadsheet. You then tell me what to narrow it down to, and then we'll look at the properties. Nice. So, of course, Using someone with local knowledge, especially when it comes to the bureaucracy of purchasing a property, yeah. is very important. Luckily, we found a place with our guide, Maya, and she was also involved in uh, improving the property, making it ready to be rented out. And, and I would say, like, from a retirement or retiring overseas perspective, 
there's a really valuable lesson in that. Like, I think that's something that your listeners in general should be aware of, which is you have to um, suspend the preconceived notions that you have about how things should work. And a really good example of that is real estate. You may be very familiar with buying real estate, for example, in California, which may not strictly be the same everywhere in the US, but it's probably reasonably Mm -hmm. close. But then you come to somewhere like Australia and you find that actually that works a little bit differently, or you come to Greece and you find that it works a lot differently. And it's a that's a, there's a lesson in that about you know needing to find professionals to support you, but also not expecting everything to be the same. Part of the problem in Athens buying property or or in Greece in general is that it takes a really long time. The I think from the time that we made the offer and the offer was accepted, it took over six months for the property to close. There's a lot of legal hassles. They've only just converted their sort of property ownership system, you know, onto a computer. So prior to that, it was all paper-based. And there was a lot of disputes about who really owned properties because no one would ever really bother go register when they inherited a property because that would incur tax. And you just want to avoid tax in Greece. Aye. So it's it's often quite a mess of confirming the ownership of a property and confirming the size of the, and the layout and plans of the property. And, you know, because we went through a professional, we needed to make sure all that paperwork was um, clear and okay. correct. So that of, when we yeah. go to sell it again, there's no drama. One, one of the classics in Greece, which I love, is people often say, oh, well, why are there? If you go into Athens, you'll see in Athens that there are quite a lot of buildings that are um, falling down, right? They're, they're in advanced states of deterioration. Sure. And, you know, we have a friend here who's in property investment and he was talking about this. And as Karina said, you know, the reality is that grandma and grandpa owned the property, right? So grandma and grandpa owned it. And then they decided that Auntie Barb should have the house. And everyone knew that Auntie Barb was supposed to take the house. And this was never in question. And so why would you go and register this change with the government and pay some tax when everyone knows that mum and dad wanted Auntie Barb to have the house? So Barb has the house. Everything's great. She dies without kids. Now you've got 30 relatives, which are all... (laughs) own a little bit of this because it goes back up and then back down again and right. and then they all have to build it. But two of them are living off or half of them are probably living off in the US and they're like, it's not worth the effort for selling this for, you know, yeah. a, a share of a thousand euros for me. And it just gets super complicated and you have to get everybody to agree. And then there's always one person that thinks that the property is worth five times what it's actually <laughs> worth. And it's impossible sometimes, but yeah, it can bet. be done. Yeah. yeah. So we, yeah. we bought the apartment with the intention of having something on land, mm-hmm. although technically it's in the air because it's on the third floor. It's, but, <laughs> you know, diversify your assets, bring in some rental income. And it was, you know, the brief to our designer was this is going to be an Airbnb apartment okay. and there is not allowed to be any IKEA in that apartment. <laughs> so, you know, we didn't want the ordinary. We wanted something fun, luxury, and a bit quirky, a little bit like us. So our designer really kind of wanted to make sure we had an apartment that would appeal to holiday renters, mm-hmm. but would also work for, say, a local long-term renter or work for us as well. 
And in fact, when she was doing the plans, she said, oh, I just imagined you, Karina, standing here, you know, cooking uh, cookies and, mm-hmm. you know, using the space the way that I know that you would, because she had gotten to know us as a friend as well. Oh, nice. It's primarily an investment property, but we also get to sp- spend time there whenever we wish. Is it a two bedroom? And can you talk a bit about the cost? Yeah, I'm happy to talk about the cost. Um, That's one of the things I like to talk about. (laughs) I'm pretty open (laughs) about this stuff. Uh, No, it's a one-bedroom apartment. It's in the very, very heart of Athens, across the road from the train station that takes you to the airport. Mm. So, you know, we do believe in location, location, location. Yeah. Uh, We chose the third floor because in Athens, anything basement or ground floor is considered less desirable. You have to go, the higher you go, the more uh, value a property has. Hmm. Okay. But in our case, you know, it was an opportunity. There's not always the right property in the good location available. So we were very happy with the third floor. I think our faces lit up when we saw the view of the Acropolis from the living room. Wow. Wow. That was when we knew, (laughs) like, this is going to be that delightful surprise you know when people turn the corner from the hallway and see the acropolis wow so and uh, and now a you know real estate professional she was also very excited about this opportunity she gave us a phone call and said i'm not mucking around you need to come and see this property tonight if you don't see it tonight you'll lose it i've got a special deal with the seller and wow. he's holding off all other inquiries until he meets with us well that so was it nice. was like one of those really rare opportunities, like a pocket listing, I guess you'd call it in the US. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it was inhabited by an older lady and needed major work. And it's really just about the total space and the views and the light and the orientation. And they're wow. the things that matter. Yeah. And then one of the other things that was appealing about it was that the previous owner, uh, it was actually his mother that had been living there. And then she had passed away and then he tried to run it on airbnb so he'd done the conversions to make it into an airbnb property oh. which from a legal point of view is there's some appeal in that because of the way in which they regulate these properties in athens for very good reasons mm-hmm. um so you can't just flip the status of a property and make it oh i want to rent it long term now i want to rent it short term it's like no you're choosing one or the other and it's got to go through a process so he'd already done that oh, nice. um, and it was clear that he had no idea what he was doing like he still had all of his mother's stuff in the apartment there was still a walking frame in the corner of the bedroom of the granddaughter uh, yeah you know he was it literally was um not very gracious about some of these things i call them them dead grandma's apartments as classic in athens which is you know, Airbnb properties that belong to dead grandmas. It's just what they literally what they do. Grandma dies, right, put it on Airbnb. Don't even change the linen, you know. Wow. So wow. when it comes okay. to the the price too, I think it was listed around 250,000 euros. Mm-hmm. We kind of got it down to 210,000 euros. Oh, nice. And then at the last minute, our representative made a special deal with the seller's agent. The seller's agent agreed to convince the seller that it wasn't even worth two hundred and ten, <gasps> and that really he should be lucky to oh accept two hundred thousand. Yeah. So yeah, part of the final negotiations was that again, our local professional who who knows how you know Greek real estate works did further negotiation with the agent who was selling the property, and uh, we got another ten thousand taken off. So we ended up picking it up for two hundred thousand euros. Wow. Uh, which we feel is pretty good for, you know, a, yeah. a very good view apartment, great location in an up and coming city. 
So this is the way in which Greece works, is that there's a negotiation between our agent and their agent that there's a kickback to him for convincing the seller to reduce the price. So <laughs> you could call it bribery. Yeah, no, I've heard you, of this. You yeah. could call it bribery or you could just say everybody's doing it and this is sort of the way. <laughs> well, really, it's, we got our, um, you know, our, our lady, we got her a bottle of champagne to say, you know, thank you and everything. Mm-hmm. And then she returned some cash to us and she said, oh, I didn't even need to pay the whole bribe. I negotiated on that too. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. That was an honest agent. Wow. Yeah, very oh, honest. She's amazing. Like, you know, I think that's why it's so important to pick professionals that you trust and that can help you and that can you know, work through the system. You don't know who you're going to have to deal with when you're buying a property. Like you don't know on the seller's side, right, who they're going to be, but you can choose who helps you to buy it. And also she's either Greek or she speaks Greek, right? She speaks Greek. Yes, she's Israeli. So she can converse with the other agent and have a better negotiation session than you yep. guys would, unless you're fluent. In, in- oh, we are way too nice. Like, <laughs> we would have just paid 250 and be done with it. <laughs> that's right. That's so, right. So what what year was that? And have prices gone up a lot since then? So that was about two and a half years ago. I'm sorry, we don't really keep track of time very well now. We don't know the day <laughs> of the week. We don't know the time of day. I know. And the problem of it. retiring or stopping. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you have to really stop and think. Yeah. Yeah, that was a while ago. We're not really following the prices in the well, market right now. I was I was reading I was reading up on this the other day. So sorry to disagree with Karina. I had been following it, <laughs> <laughs> but the um the, there was an article the other day that was saying. I mean, we haven't gone out and got a quote on it, but there was an article the other day saying that prices in Athens last year went up around about twenty percent, nineteen something percent last year. Mm-hmm. And that so far this year in the first two quarters they've gone up thirty percent. Wow. Okay. So I think that it would be safe to assume that we get more than what we paid for it back for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. I really hope so. I mean it's this is the pessimist optimist thing. Yeah. Karina's <laughs> always like like it was like when we sold our house in the US. I'm like, yeah, absolutely we'll get that much for it. And she's like, no, no, no. Every house we've ever sold, Karina's like, no, it's not worth I know every intimate thing that's wrong with this place. It's not worth <laughs> that. I'm like, absolutely people will pay for it. And they've always come in about the middle. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Somewhere between where I think and somewhere between where Karina It's just about finding that buyer and who knows what the future holds. You know, it's still speculative. Even property, I feel, is still speculative these days. Sure. Um, And and even if you think that you're purchasing that home that you'll keep for some time, circumstances change, right? So it's good to have that balance of the person whose head is on straight and then the one who's kind of wandering all the time. What do you That's mean by true. That, oh, uh, Jean, Jean. <laughs> so, do you have any idea? And you may not, but do you have any idea how much apartments go for in Athens? Rental apartments per, per month, month. Per month. Per month. I think a good expat quality apartment. You can rent cheaper, right? You can rent four hundred euros a month for sure, wow. right? Yeah. But that is not what I would call expat. No, you're sharing that with the stray cats and the stray dog. Yeah, yeah. you know, so so I think (laughs) 800 to 1,000 euros a month, you're going to get a pretty reasonable kind of expat quality in the outside of the center, right? Like not right in the core, but just on the edge of the core, you'll probably get something that's quite okay. 
It is cheap for a big right, city, a big but city. I mean, you could go higher yeah. than that too. Um, there are mm-hmm. parts of Athens much more upscale. Full of Porsches and, and yeah. Dior stores. Mm-hmm. And, more okay. expensive than that again. You know, the average income, it's always a good question. I have asked this in other podcasts. The average income in Greece is just somewhere around 1,200 euros a month. Mm-hmm. And the median is a lot lower than that, right? Like I think mm-hmm. the median's about 800 euros a month. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, wow. when you start to look at that, you know, you can imagine what 400 euros gets you for an apartment, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. What about the taxes on the property? Bugger oh, all. Yeah, not much. I think it was about 96 euros a month or something. Oh, really very not nice. too bad. Okay. Yeah, not too bad okay. at all. All right. Very nice. All right. Let's talk about language. Yeah. How much Greek do you know? And do you need to know the language in Athens? No. Well, yes. <laughs> no, you don't. I just wanted to be controversial. No, if you if you know the language in Athens, then the shopkeepers are nicer to you, and they know you're a foreigner, and they give you free gifts. Yeah. So gift giving is a big thing in Athens. You here's an extra orange for your bag of oranges, ah. or Aww. here's a slice of cake. So if you want to like sweeten people up, you speak the language, <laughs> and you'll get something in return. But when we say speak the language, we don't mean any more than you know, polite hellos, goodbyes. Okay. One of those, two of those. I mean, that that's the level of our Greek. Thank you very honest. much. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, Good morning. Mm-hmm. You, know. you know, and not trying to gain the system. Like it, it really is the Greek. You know, we've talked to a lot of people about this. Actually, you know, again, Greece is different from other countries, right? And it's easy to fall in the habit of thinking everything should be the way that you have expected. Yeah. Some people come and they're like, oh, that website didn't work or they don't have their opening hours on Google or I've emailed them and they haven't answered. And it's like, yeah, that's that's just not how Greece works. You can't <laughs> go expecting those things to happen. It's a very relationship-driven business uh, here. Yes, it, yes. It absolutely matters to them that you're nice to them. And sometimes when you meet Greeks, this is one of these ones where I go back afterwards and say, maybe you should edit that bit out. No. But sometimes <laughs> when you meet Greek people, particularly bureaucratic people in sort of bureaucratic type roles, yeah, they can be very um, aggressive and sort of very standoffish and things like that. But if you just sort of take it and you nod and you're like, yes, I know you, you've had a very hard, they just want a little bit of sympathy and then they are as sweet as pie and they will bend the rules left, right, and center because they like you. Mm. And that's uh-huh. how business is done. But if you sort of stand there and go, I know my rights, I know how <laughs> things should be done, and, you know, we know a lot of people that are like that and they yeah. do that, sure, yeah. uh, they generally have a miserable experience, but yeah. we don't. We we rarely had that difficult an experience. The one time we had a difficult experience with someone we were patiently trying to explain it and this old Greek lady behind us suddenly amped up and went nuts wow. in Greek on our behalf in Greek bureaucrat sort of like grabbed our documents and stamped them and sent us out of there. It's all about relationships. Yeah. I, I mean, from What's what little again? of oh. my experience, all the Greeks that I've ever met and, you know, there's been quite a lot, especially in New York and even in college, I had a couple of Greek professors and They've been so warm and welcoming. I mean, I I have to say that was one of my friends' family just just took me in, and it felt so comfortable. So I can only imagine that warmth of, of the people. That's my two bits. I think so. they really have 
uh, they know how to live life well and they've got the right perspective. So, you know, family comes first and then it's about your friends. Yeah. And it's about food and fun and, you know, they don't worry about things that you don't need to worry about. And it's been quite healthy for us to be exposed to that and to sort of change how we approach a problem or how we think about something. You've got to be very, very patient in Greece, and it's not uncommon to want to achieve something but then have to return the next day, you know, because Spiros has to be here to help you with that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you just go, okay, let's go have a coffee, you know? Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, oh, that's nice. And, and well, I know that this extends to other areas too, and I know that, like, one of the questions is what about healthcare, right? Like, what do you do about healthcare? Yes, yeah. yes, let's talk about that. Um, well, I mean, this, tight, this segues beautifully in, and this is the best story because we have a friend here who is on a boat as well, and we've been cruising. We wintered with them um, in Montenegro, and now we're we're here and they're in the bay next to us. Anyway, he hurt his back the other day, and he couldn't literally couldn't get off the boat. He sort of really tweaked something, and so his wife called a local hotel and said, can we get a doctor? And the hotel said, well, the doctor's not here, he's away, but you could go to the pharmacy. She goes to the pharmacy and the pharmacist comes out to the boat to give him an injection to relax his back so they can get him in the tender to get him to shore. He gets to (laughs) shore and then they're sitting in the local restaurant where they'd had dinner the night before. The restaurant, they laid him down on some chairs there, they gave him some water, they called a taxi for him. The taxi driver came because he had to go to the emergency hospital, which was at Corinth. It's about 30 or 40 miles away. And so the taxi took him to Corinth. The taxi driver stayed with them all day. Wow. The taxi driver parked the car, got him out, got him into a wheelchair, wheeled him in, and oh. then translated for him in Greek the whole day. This is And incredible. then drove them back and didn't want to charge them any more than the cab fare. And, oh and they God, had right. just met. Right. Oh, and they had absolutely just met. And this right. is, you know, this is Greece. And they're like, and yet guess how much that cost them at the hospital? Nothing, because emergency care here is free. Oh, right. Like so wow. and then for the next several days he had a course of some something that had to be injected. And the pharmacist came out to the boat every day to give him oh, the injection. My goodness. And when she was there, she stopped and had a coffee and yeah. they have a chat. <laughs> you know. Well, yeah. The pharmacy shuts at two. It opens again at six. I've got time. You know. <laughs> wow. Is it because of the culture, or is it because the businesses are not that busy? Uh, both. <laughs> the yeah, culture, I mean, and I think as a kind of foreigner here, you feel very well taken care of because you're one of the biggest earners for this country. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. There's I mean, a I, story I, yeah. I love to tell, which I think explains this, picks a little bit on Americans. We can make him someone other than American. There's a, a rich Western businessman, right, and he's on a Greek island, and he's watching someone that's just been out and they've gone fishing. The guy's fishing and he comes back to the shore. He catches a few fish, and then he sits down and he has a coffee with his friend. The businessman walks over to him and he says to him, well, why did you stop? You know, the fish were obviously biting. You could have caught more. And he says, well, but why do I want to do that? He says, well, if you catch more, you can, you know, you could make more money. But why do I want to do that? Well, if you make more money, you could buy a second boat and you could catch even more fish. Right? (laughs) Yes, yes. But but why do I want to do that? Well, eventually you can build up, you could have a fleet of fish and then you could build a fish processing factory. You know, you could like really make something of this here. 
And he says, well, why do I want to do that? He says, well, then you can sit back and relax and enjoy having coffee with your friends. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that is, that is what Greek business is like. You know, we know people that worked on our boat for us at various times. You could go down to... You go down to the town key to the dock, you know, like the town always has like a harbour, I suppose. And they're always sitting in the cafes having coffee with their friends. That's what they do. And then they go to work. That's so nice. That's funny. I love that culture. Love the culture. And no, what, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Yeah, but yeah. it takes some adjustment. And so your your residents, do you qualify for the government health care? Not technically. So I do have a medical condition that I need regular checkups for, regular blood tests for, medication for. I can get all of those things done in Greece for a minimal cost. So I get to see um, a wonderful rheumatologist who was trained at Columbia University and wow. charges me 35 euros for a 90-minute consultation. Wow. It's like wow. a no-brainer. Yeah. The drugs yeah. that I take are about 4 euros, oh. you know, oh my goodness. and I don't need a prescription. I just go to the pharmacy and mm -hmm. ask for it and they give it to me. And so, yeah, the blood the blood draws that I have done, I can go to any laboratory on any island or in any city, show them my passport and get a blood draw done for about 18 euros. That's incredible. And they so, they yeah. email me the results. So but, it's very easy. Mm -hmm. So you pay out of pocket. Yep. Yeah, we just pay out of pocket. It's ah. just absolutely not worth trying to do any more than that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Have you had the need to find like a primary care and is that available? not really a concept here. No. I mean, when I was talking to the rheumatologist, I had some other things and he did suggest like a general practitioner that I could yeah. go talk to. Right. Um, and they all work together in the same hospital. So I could have done that. I just mm -hmm. decided I wouldn't bother. And, you know, we're out in the sun a lot. So when we're back in Athens, we go to a dermatologist and get Skin our skin checked, check. mm -hmm. you know, we'll get our teeth cleaned, you know, right. we'll sort of right. do specialist things, new, new eyeglasses, you know. Right, right. Um, but we just pay out of pocket for all of it because it just feels so affordable to us. Wow, yeah, and, and I think that's, again, another another example of where the culture is different and that's a big thing, you know, the concept of having to go through a primary caregiver really isn't a thing here. In fact, you can go direct to any specialist if you know what mm -hmm. you need. And mm -hmm. I'll soon tell you for very little money if they're the wrong specialist. So it's not necessarily <laughs> that you're diagnosing yourself. We do the same here. We go to specialists just when we want to, and they don't require any kind of referral. I often find that as one gets older, um, especially recently for the both of us, uh, certain things have just popped up and we have someone that we can just kind of have that home base, if you will. And I can just call her up and say, look, you know, today's uh, this, and she has my whole history. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, a general practitioner or a primary care to me, they're the same. So I was just trying to find if you felt comfortable there as you did in uh, the Bay area. I definitely feel comfortable, but it's probably not as convenient. You know, I used to be part of Kaiser Permanente. I had an online profile. All my data was there, every immunization, you know, and it was all online. And that was very convenient. convenient. Now in Greece, I own that data and I need to manage it myself. Okay. Ah. So okay. that's really the difference is that I bring it all around with me. Oh, that's smart, actually. You know, we put it all on a USB disk. I mean, <laughs> a little drive and carry that around. Let's move on to some fun things. How do you find the restaurants in Greece? Yeah, excellent. You so there's two. it's a two-part answer to this. There is Athens and then there is the rest of Greece. And the answer is that they're both excellent, 
but Athens is a modern metropolitan European city, you know, and so by that it's got all the sorts of things you'd find in any other modern metropolitan European city. If you want Texas barbecue, there's a Texas barbecue restaurant. If you want to get hamburgers, there's great burgers. You know, if you want Asian food, there's Asian food. But Athens has everything. Athens is very multicultural, well, reasonably multicultural. But when you're out on the islands, it's Greek taverners. Now, there's nothing wrong with Greek taverners. <laughs> Greek taverners are great. But at some point, you're probably going to get sick of salad and grilled meat. Yeah, so many times, Jean, like the thought of going out is actually more exhausting. and I don't even want the disappointment of it. Right. <laughs> so I would much rather cook food that I like and have a good wine that I've chosen and know that it costs less and, you know, do it all without having to get dressed up. Yeah, and it's yeah. not to say that the tavernas are bad. They're all generally pretty, pretty good. You know, there's not a huge difference between the really good ones and the really bad ones. Yeah, there are some that are worse than others and there are some that are better, but they're fairly much in a band. Yeah, at some point, there's just not the variety. So, you know, I think if you're here on holiday in Greece, everyone's excited about culture, sitting out late at night, eating your food. But after sort of two, three, four weeks, it's like, okay, once a week's enough. You know? yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, the beauty of it is you, you've got the Mediterranean diet literally right at your feet. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you can have the salads, you can have all that. And, and I'm sure the markets, like you say, Karina, you can just cook and, and make it, you know, your way or, or you know, whenever. Yeah, well, I've certainly had to abandon all my cookbooks. I'm not using very many uh, American recipes anymore. So, yeah, you just change and adapt to the ingredients that are in season. And I'll often go to a restaurant and pick something on the menu that I can't make myself, but also the rest of the menu might inspire me to try something. Right. So, like, right. I've, I've really aced how to make stuffed tomatoes Ooh. Uh, in the oven, and that's a very Greek thing. And, Tim, you just, you've described yourself as a coffee addict. Have you found a lot of incredible coffee shops in your travels on the boat? Yeah, so Greece has a very strong coffee culture. Coffee is very much a way of life. It's, I think, the 15th largest per capita consumer of coffee in the world. So it's right up there. Drinking coffee is a big thing. In fact, actually, this this one I always find as a fun fact is, you know, you go to Starbucks and you get like a frappe or something like that. Mm -hmm. That was invented in Greece. Frappes were invented in Greece. Wow. you know, there are a number of distinctive Greek kind of coffee drinks and things like that. Now, in Athens, again, there's a lot of sort of third wave coffee roasters doing all sorts of beans and varietals and all sorts of that. So you can get excellent, excellent coffee in Athens. But, you know, most regional centres are going to have a roaster. But the problem is if you really like espresso-based coffees, that they're really roasting for a Greek style coffee, which is very, dare I say it, similar to Turkish style coffee. Uh, <laughs> food between Turkey and Greece, which are yes, yes. same thing, just different perspective. So and that, that coffee is not really well suited to espresso. So when you get out into the islands, you can get a particular sort of coffee. You can't always get, you know, good um, espresso beans, but you can always get them back in Athens. And so we tend to buy in bulk. Yeah, and I have to yeah. say, too, we were actually scolded once by a Greek lady for drinking our coffee too fast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so what? I love that. Yeah, but then it gets cold. <laughs> Translating some documents for us. And we went and got a coffee first. 
And we just sort of drank it and then threw it in the trash. And she said, hang on, no, you're meant to like savor this. This should last about an hour. Yeah, you're very rude if you drink it too fast. It's very oh rude. And sure enough, if you're on public transport or, you know, you'll see everyone walk into work with coffee, takeaway disposable coffee cups uh-huh. in their hands. It's uh-huh. very much a part of the culture. In fact, one of the biggest sort of delivery businesses in Athens is little mopeds running around. They're all doing coffee deliveries. Wow. <laughs> oh, my so, goodness. Well, that yeah. is definitely not something that, that we have here yet. Uh, no. No, would- no, no. If people, yeah, people have coffee deliveries. They're just delivering, you know, two, three, four coffees all the what? time. Or <laughs> When I was getting my... I know. When I was getting my speedboat license, I was in the middle of a lesson on how to drive a boat, and the instructor told me to go across to the dock because someone was waiting there with three cups of coffee, and I had to do the pickup. And then we went back to our lesson. (laughs) I can't believe that. That is so cool. I mean, you know, we live in coffee capital in California also, and we would never even think of having anything delivered that small. I mean, in New York. I mean, in New York, yeah. Can you imagine? Uh, I'll I'll have yeah, two but, cappuccinos delivered here, please. Yeah, no, that that's absolutely they will in Greece, and they'll they'll rock up in ten minutes on a scooter. <laughs> wow, Tim, you've been blogging for over twenty years. Please tell, yeah. t- tell yeah. people about your blog. It's timbull.com. Yes, yeah, so I blog at timbull.com. It's had a it's had a range of forms over the years. I think the I think the very first attempts were actually documenting our our well, Karina's pregnancy our pregnancy with our with our first with our firstborn our daughter but you know then sort of blogged i guess for professional reasons for a while and then i ran a startup and i blogged about that and i've just always found it a very useful way to kind of collect my thoughts about something big that's happening to me whether it's you know whether it's thinking about work and the sorts of issues that were there or at the startup it was a great way to kind of reflect on what was happening hold myself accountable publicly to what we intended to do with the business that we were trying to build um and now it's a really good way of of, of basically leading to this right it's led to all sorts of just interesting experiences i enjoy writing it for us, we both, Karina contributes a lot to it as well. She's my editor. Um, she critiques the photos and things like that. So, but I, I tend to sit down and do the writing. But, you know, I find it very, very satisfying to kind of go back and look at the week and say, wow, you know, seven days ago we were in Preveza and we've done 220 miles this week. And this is what we saw and where we went. And think about that and what it means. And, and often think about the places that we're going and try and find something interesting about them to share with with the audience. Yeah, Tim's a very curious man. And <laughs> we'd never visit any place without the phone coming out and Wikipedia coming up. Yeah. He's, he's oh, got to read about why is it like this? What does this mean? Who did this? So I think for Tim, it's a way of expressing and sharing his love of facts and information about the world. So much so that he's now converting the blog and turning it more into a book. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. great. That's a great. So, idea. Yeah, that's a sort of the writing part of the hobby. So I've got, you've got. A, I, I suppose you'd call it a memoir about, yeah. you know, moving from the US and living on the boat mm-hmm. and that experience and what that's like. And that's, uh, you know, that's coming along. That's into a second edit now. And always wow. looking for beta readers if anyone's interested. <laughs> yeah, that that's sounds fun. wonderful. Cause, I mean, I've started. How many blogs have I tried to uh, start? <laughs> I, I must have like the most domain names in the world are starting, right? That's I your start business. And then I stop. 
I, I just, I don't know. I they just, have a bunch. I don't follow through. So I, I'm yeah. going to try to be to like you, Tim. Week 150 we published today. Wow. wow. Oh, Congratulations. But let me get this straight. <laughs> let me get this straight, Karina. Mm-hmm. While, you, while you were giving birth, your husband was trying to get the blog out? Yeah, it we, we, <laughs> it, it, it is true. We talk about things that were different in my body or what we were worried about or what was fun. <laughs> So it was also the nine months leading up to it, but uh, we're both kind of techies. So mm-hmm. it's actually fun for us to think about how can we share this experience or record this experience yeah. for others. Mate. And yes, there was a laptop in the delivery room. But you have to go back. <laughs> so this is true, but you have to go back a little bit too to appreciate how just awkward this was because, you know, we're talking now 2000 right, which is yeah. when our daughter was born, right? Their blogs did not exist in 2000. What we really had was a hand-coded HTML website where I was manually, you know, writing up HTML content with HTML tags Aye. and pushing and then sort of like deploying that to the web server. And I was doing it over a dial-up modem. Um, <laughs> wow. And wow. so I had sort of that like, you know, pregnancy could take a little yeah. bit of time. Labor can take a little yeah. bit of time. Yeah. Pregnancy takes a while too. Uh, and then, <laughs> oh, does and it? So I'd sort of like updated the "we're here and it's happening, yay!" And then I'd spent probably I don't know. It was maybe only fifteen or twenty minutes of frustration trying to get a dial-out line through oh. the old, um, oh my god, you know, PABX in the in the hotel. <laughs> sorry, in the hospital, which just wouldn't work. It yeah. wouldn't cooperate. So it very is true trying to do it but also did get fairly quickly abandoned the focus on the task yeah oh, it was yes, a very yeah. quick labor so i think the focus changed yeah i'm sure i'm sure you <laughs> well did. now you but can yes, it easily <laughs> yeah you can easily on your phone record you know do all that stuff right we could have instagrammed the whole thing yeah, in live stream, but, you know. <laughs> no you would have tiktok live stream the birth I bet oh, tic- that's that. true true or is it threads now i it's oh my weird. god! I mean, you we're... just you just reminded me of that sound right. of the dial in with the motor. Yeah. I mean, Gene <laughs> yeah. actually, I I will tell you, I was so proud of him, and I couldn't believe it for his job. He built the website for the courthouse library, the library, and he read that Ooh. HTML book. What was it like? Four inches, <laughs> and I said, only you could sit through something like that because I would have. I probably just wouldn't have done it or would have hired someone, <laughs> but I'm too cheap. So I said, yeah, just keep doing it. <laughs> All right. Kudos. This has been really fun. But as, as we finish up, how long do you think you'll be living on the boat? Or do you think about that? Yeah, we do think about that. I know I mentioned that we want to diversify our assets and a boat costs us money. It doesn't make us any money. Right. We've got the apartment in the air on the third floor. And again, on a whim, because I was bored over winter, I bought a property in Bulgaria. For, 100% true. Oh, wow. Was it 12, no, 14,000 euros. Yeah. No. It's so dirt cheap. I, Where in Bulgaria? What city? Living in Plodiv, recent episode that you did and we were oh. like oh we're one of those people that bought the, the village property that's us oh you, so I you kinda... bought it in Plovdiv? no, no but it was a village in bulgaria out there. Uh, oh, man, okay okay but the strategy is you know anything could happen and we may not always be on the boat so mm-hmm. you know we i think typically work in five-year chunks in terms of what our you know plans are but I like the idea now that there is a piece of dirt out there in the world that I'm allowed to go and live on. 
And, you know, we often have fun just thinking about what are we going to do with that? Are we going to put on a tiny home? You know, is this where we're going to retire? Like we don't really know where we're going to end up. We sort of don't really think about ourselves as retired in a way. Like mm-hmm. we don't earn any money. <laughs> we don't work. <laughs> yeah, well, employed. I like to yeah. tell people I'm fun yeah, well, employed. Welcome to our club. You're what employed? Yeah. <laughs> fun, fun employed. You're fun, fun employed. employed. Now, where are your children, by the way? Yeah. So we have our eldest daughter in Edinburgh, Scotland, and our son is in Tokyo, Japan. Wow. Wow. Well, you have raised some very international children. We have. We have. Oh, that's so wonderful. So they must think it's great, this whole adventure of yours on the boat. and then I don't Athens. think that they think we're very sensible. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I think, I think our daughter just sees us burning through any chance she has of an inheritance. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> and at one point, our son was the only one earning money. And I think we were playing with him a bit and saying, well, if it all goes south, you know. We're going to come and live with you. <laughs> Oh my god. Well, they're adults now. They might have that in mind, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, they don't have that in mind. No, no. No, they no, definitely probably. don't have that in mind. But yeah, it's I think the as Karina said, sort of a five year plan in terms of where we're going. And I think boats will continue to be part of our future for quite some time. Do I think we'll still be on a boat in twenty years? I really doubt it. Do I think we'll still be on a boat in five years? Yeah, I think we will. It may not be this boat. But we'll be on a boat, I think, in, in five years' time. You know, there was a couple I just read about yesterday. There are, He's 104 and she's 97 or something, and they've just bought themselves a brand-new trawler. Oh, my. Where? Where is this? I have to read about this. I mean, they just cruise their local grounds. Everyone knows them. They're, they're up there somewhere in the northeastern coast of the U.S., Oh, oh, so, they're Americans? You know, huh. Yeah, they're Americans. You can huh. still be out there and doing this till quite old in age. In <laughs> fact, we've been joking with our friends because typically most people when they go onto boats, go on the sailing boats first and then when sailing boats get to be too much work, move to trawlers because they want to just push buttons and make things happen instead of worrying about I'm sails. quite smart, really, aren't Karina just started that early, that's yeah. it. Okay, okay, because I can't swim yet. It's on my list. I don't want to call it a bucket list. Well, you've taken lessons. I've taken lessons (laughs) multiple times, and I, you know, it's the control side, I suppose. Someone said to me, you just have to relax. I'm like, duh. Okay, (laughs) I didn't know that. So living on a boat for me, I would definitely have to have like so many pieces of foam. You sleep with a life preserve. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, and I don't know how comfortable that would be. A pretty big boat. You'd be you'd be very safe on here. You'd be welcome to join us. And, uh, you know, if you really want, you could wear a life jacket, but you, you're not going to fall off the edge. You'd be fine. All right. Tim. And what, what about? Um, you better promise that guarantee that. Yeah. Do, do yeah. you do you meet friends? Do you meet friends along the way when you travel on your boat? Yeah. Oh my God. So many. So many. I can't remember their names. And we have to put little like clues in our phone to remember where we met them or something (laughs) unique about them. Yeah. You know, yeah. The cruisers, liveaboard cruising community is uh, like extensive. I mean, I'm literally not kidding when I say there's a boat just here, which is. 40 feet away from us that's a friend of ours from Montenegro that we wintered with. There's another boat that's 60 feet in front of us. It's another friend of ours from Montenegro that we just finished wintering with. So these are people that we've known now for six plus months, which in boat years is 
forever. (laughs) (laughs) Four years. Everyone's very friendly. We're here to have a good time and there's quite a bit of alcohol. (laughs) Yeah, you do need to learn to sort of moderate yourself or you could have a hangover every day. I mean, I'm not kidding when I say this week we travelled from Preveza to here uh, to Poros, which was, you know, we stayed at five different anchorages on our way down here. There was only one night where we didn't anchor near someone that we knew. Wow. Wow. Yeah, well, you guys are also very friendly, so I'm sure that, you know, helps. That helps, yeah. Yeah. It does help, but it's, you know, it's easy to make friends on boats. Everyone loves talking about their boats. You just have to go over to someone and say, wow, that's a nice boat, and then they'll tell you about it for the next hour. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we're all very similar. We're all very similar with similar stories, and we connect really quickly. Sure. It is true. There's there's definitely a demographic of Mm -hmm. people that does this. You know, I would say the vast majority of people we meet are either in tech, like us, or pilots is a surprising number of couples of pilots and oh, air wow. hostesses wow um or maybe there's some real estate people but they all tend to be fairly kind of you know tech is a predominant actual one but it's also a we don't work but it is also something that you can really manage and take with you mm-hmm. when you're nomadic oh interesting okay good to know what advice would the two of you have for other people thinking of such an adventure just do it. Just do it. Like it's yeah. really easy to talk yourself out of something. Mm-hmm. So my advice is get in there and get in there and do it. You know, I think that assuming that, you know, financially you can make it happen, that you can in- afford the investment. We're specifically talking about boats here, right? Like yeah. that yeah. you can afford to to buy a boat and that this is something that you want to do and you've had this dream. Just do it. It's not that hard. And yeah, I think one of the misconceptions and things that people worry about is that they assume that, you know, you need to do everything at once, right? I, you know, I need to do this and learn this and build up to this. And people will say, don't do it. You don't have to go and set off across the Atlantic in your first season. You know, <laughs> you can do exactly what we did, which is to start with a boat in, you know, some region of the world that's got very safe cruising grounds and you can gradually build up to it. And, you know, each season, we're into our third season now, we become more and more experienced and more and more capable of doing more and more things. And, yeah, we absolutely, I think I said this at the start, we are not the people we were. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's so interesting, yeah. Capable okay. and so much more confident on the boat. And we do things now that to us three years ago or two years ago would have been completely unthinkable. Um, So I would say don't worry about it too much. Get out there and just like anything, just start taking off bite-sized pieces of it and get in there and just get started. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we've met some people who, you know, one of the couple is very, very keen to live on the sea and have a sailing boat and it's their dream and their partner is just tolerating it. And they've gone along with it, but actually in their heart, they want to be on land. They want to be with their grandkids. <laughs> they want to be with their children. Yeah. And you can see this tension in the relationship. So I think probably figuring that out would be my advice. Start with a two-month break on a really easy, you know, an easy canal boat in France or in the Netherlands, something that's not sort of scary or dangerous and just see if you can handle being together for that long and how you <laughs> feel about not being around your friends and family. Plenty of couples actually make it work where, you know, one of them will fly home and spend two weeks with their kids and then fly back to the boat and spend two months. So you can move around a lot in this lifestyle as well. 
But yeah, I think just try something small and see if you like it. Yeah, okay. some, somebody wrote a book on how to convince your wife to live on a sailboat. Yes, <laughs> that was yeah, so funny. Seattle guy. Oh, you know that YouTube guy. Channel. Yeah, we do. She's like, <laughs> yeah, you do. You know it. We we watch it all the time. Okay. Um. Yes. So that okay. I mean, oh, the O'Kellys. I, the O'Kellys. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to be. I try and be gen, gender equitable as much as I can. But yes, it's the <laughs> women who like no. to go back on land, and you know they've got their specialists they want to see, or they only I one foot on the land and then one foot in the boat. So ah, I do okay. see that a fair bit. Yeah, I think yeah. you have to kind of jump in with both feet. That probably goes for swimming too. But you've <laughs> definitely got to, you know, you've got to kind of commit to it. But so, yeah, somewhere between that, I think I'm, from my side, just get out there and do it. And from Karina's, make sure you really want to do it before you jump in and do it. That's yeah. my advice is don't hold back. It's not, if you don't feel you have the experience, there's nothing like riding out a few storms on anchor to build some experience oh pretty quickly. Oh, my God, riding on storms. <laughs> okay, riding out storms. All right. So, Tim and Karina, this has been so much fun. Thank you for your patience with all the internet technicalities that we experienced. Technical but I think, problems, yeah. But I think this turned out to be a really fun episode, and the two of you are just such a pleasure chatting with. Thank you. Yeah, oh, yeah. I hope we get a chance to have a cup of uh, espresso in our future. And maybe, Absolutely. Yeah, maybe I'll put one foot in the boat for now and <laughs> just pray for the rest of the trip. Okay. <laughs> we'll look after you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you know someone who's relocated for retirement and wishes to share their story with us, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is gg at retirethere.com. Our website is retirethere.com. And you may follow us on Twitter at RetireThere underscore. Now, if you've liked our show, please subscribe and rate it in Apple Podcasts. In the meantime, be well. <laughs>